0: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply.
1: It's my pleasure to have you with us here on The Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas to me so you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Speaking of ripoffs, I despise when you buy something and after you bought it, you get feed to death. Well, the airlines are becoming really expert at it and fees are rising again. I'm going to fill you in on that in just a little while. So earlier this year, I talked about how the cost of houses around the country was outrunning people's ability to afford them. And you can't have a situation where the price of something goes up continually beyond people's incomes or rise in incomes. That when you take something like um, education and all the problems we've had with the cost of college... College costs have been going up generally at double the rate of inflation in the economy overall. And two and a half times people's growth in income. Something has to give. And so there's been a moderation in college costs with even a number of colleges cutting the effective cost that you pay. Well, let's take homes. After the real estate bust last decade, We were in the doldrums for years, and then housing began a steady recovery, and over the last six years, housing has been going up way beyond the rate of economic growth, inflation, people's paychecks, all the rest, and we've hit a wall. We've hit a point where the affordability of housing in much of the country is at a point where a lot of people are on what I called a few months ago buyer strike territory, where people may have wanted to buy a home, but they were like, "Uh uh-uh, I can't, or I won't. So now the stats show that home prices are, in many places around the country, showing a real moderation. So prices are not dropping except in a handful of places. But the increases in prices that have been taking people's breath away the last six years, that is really ending. And you're going to see what's, what's obviously so much a part of how supply and demand works is if people want to sell their home in areas where buyers are saying not so much, it will require price cuts. I was reading some stats recently about how many home sellers have had to cut their asking prices. Now that contrasts with all the reports you've been hearing in areas of the country or at price points in certain cities where there are these bidding wars for homes and homes are selling for a lot more than the ask. But that is sideshow the main event is that we've hit this point where people are going to have to sit and wait for either their paychecks to get larger or for home prices to become more reasonable for them to be able to buy versus their income it's not like a conspiracy or anything and i do want to point out another thing this is nothing like 2007 We are not on the edge of a cliff where home prices will collapse. This isn't that at all. This is where that was a fever-pitched speculative era with too much money chasing the marketplace. This is really a fundamental thing. We have not built enough housing units in recent years. It caused supply and demand to get out of kilter. And so the market is having to find a new equilibrium and it will force the marketplace to deal with both the pricing side of things and the supply side. So if you want to stay on buyer strike for a while longer, the market may reward you. But the big news is that the big run-ups and prices that we've seen, that is now a rearview mirror thing. Amy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Amy. Hi, how are you? Great, thank you, Amy. You've got student loans that you're dealing with. Tell me about that.
2: I owe, um, well, let me rephrase. My first student loan that I took out was for grad school. It's for $100,000.
1: That's some serious on, money, isn't it?
2: Oh, yeah, it's, it's hysterical.
1: <laughs> Has the degree um, been worth the 100000
2: it took me 5 years to find a job in my field. Oh. So I'm not sure about it actually being <laughs> worth that amount.
1: Okay. Do you think over a working lifetime cycle that it will end up having a good return on that 100,000 or not even then?
2: I am hoping it seemed like a good idea at the time when I first started school the market for that career was wide open, lots of openings and then I was in school during 2008-2009 and the market just closed. Oh, I'm so sorry. it's just now starting to reopen and I'm I'm hoping that it will be something that will pay off in the long run. Unfortunately, I've not been able to undo it, so if I could, okay. <laughs> could undo it, I might, um, but I am stuck with this, with this loan.
1: Well, what are you it, thinking of now?
2: What am I thinking of?
1: Yeah, as far as handling the 100000
2: Okay, so there, I have a couple of options. One is to, it's accrued, I was on income-based, and it has accrued now to $120,000. For the first five years, due to the market being closed, I was not able to make any payments. So that's just been accruing on top of itself for except the last you, Except Except
1: by being an IBR, income-based repayment, you were staying current.
2: Yes, I'm not yeah. in default. Right. It's just that no payments were made. I have an option to take money, bless my husband, to take money out of his savings account to pay off the loan in full. However, he has that money saved up for retirement, and he's already retired. So if I refinance the loan, right now I'm at 7.99% interest. Um, if I refinance it down to like a 6.5%, it's still a, about $1,000 a month. So I was thinking of a 20-year fixed because a 1000 is about all I can afford being new into this industry and still earning entrance wages essentially. So then we're looking at a hundred and forty thousand dollars just in interest over the lifetime of the loan.
1: Well if your husband see if he were calling me I would I would be asking different questions, but since you're calling me and he's volunteered to do it is unless it's gonna trigger a big tax due bill for him. I like the idea of you taking him up on his generosity.
2: What about his, it's his retirement? That's, that's where the conflict is for me. It's his retirement. He's already sure. retired. Um, there's no penalty for him withdrawing the account. It's just in the money market or withdrawing, withdrawing the money. But if something happens to me, he's stuck with no retirement. So
1: the way you deal with that is you do a life insurance policy with him being the beneficiary. Ah, you could okay. buy a level term insurance policy really cheaply. And then if he's named as the beneficiary, then th- that would eliminate that worry. Okay. And so, so if, you, if you're going to pay him back, essentially, then you just do a note where you're paying him back the 120. At Obviously, you would do a lower interest rate between the two of you, but you would eliminate the risk to him of your passing away prematurely by having the very inexpensive life insurance.
2: Okay. That's a great idea. That's why I'm calling.
1: <laughs> so if he's all in on paying it off, then go for it. Because paying 8% interest or even refining in into 65 that's an ugly number for you to deal with, especially if you're not making a great wage. Okay. Now the alternative is you know you're eligible for ultimately loan forgiveness on this loan. And you can service the loan, and then after, depending on which uh, forgiveness program you go into, 10, 20, or 25 years in, the remaining balance of the loan's forgiven. But in this case, I would short-circuit that, take the money, and pay it back to him as agreed, and then know that you don't have to worry about what would happen to him if you were not to be with us. And everybody ends up okay. So, and by the way, one thing I want to make sure I say to you, Amy. Yes. It is not your fault that the economy fell through the floor last decade. Thank you. (laughs) And there are lots of people in your same situation who got out of school with a degree that should have led to a good career path that at least got put on hold like yours did. And people are just now emerging from that after years of struggling with degrees that didn't pay off, but now the job market is so much better that the chance of the degrees paying off is so much better. Greg is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Greg. Hi, Clark. I really enjoy your show. Thank you, Greg. I wanted to ask you a question about, I've been researching this um, Internet of Things
3: and these memes, M-E-M-S, yeah. and what was your opinion of these sensors and I'd like to invest in it if you have any companies in mind.
1: So, there, there's no doubt that the what we call the IoT, the Internet of Things, is going to change so many things we do every day, and people wonder what that means, like ring, doorbells that are popping up all over the place, right? the Nest thermostats, the way cars are having connectivity, that's all part of the Internet of Things. So, yes, all this is going to be very much part of the future. Picking winners out of it, gosh, I'd, I have no successful strategy for that because so often the companies that are the groundbreakers end up being nobody. Do you, right. do you remember a company called Replay TV? I do not, no. They're the company that developed the television DVR. Oh, okay. And they're a trivia question, just like it was just now. And for a while, who ended up dominant in that space with the DVR? A company called TiVo. Right. And now TiVo is like, oh yeah, I forgot, I used to have a TiVo, because now there are all these other DVRs out there. So often, the company that had first mover advantage that developed something is not the one that ends up with the gold at the end of the day okay so when you make a bet like that you have to look at it as a bet if you think of it this way greg that a company may have a great idea you may love that idea you may even be willing to back that idea with some of your own money but whether they're going to turn out to be successful or not who knows Hi. How are you? Doing just fine. Thanks, Clark. So what is it that's frustrating you?
3: Well, I'd, I'd like to be able to travel from one major metropolitan area to an adjoining state to visit my dad, who's in a, an assisted living facility. And I'm flexible on dates. I could pick up and go tomorrow. If there was a good deal on an airfare, I could go next Tuesday or two weeks from now or whatever. I mean, I I have work flexibility that allows me to sort of miss a day on, on short notice. And what I'd like to be able to do is track the airfares and get the very lowest possible deal so that I can afford to travel, go down and see my dad, and then fly back home in the same day. That, that's sort of the thing. But most travel sites, they want you to point out a particular day. And so you're, you're looking for airfares day by day, and it's, it's hard to find the best deal.
1: All right, so the three deep discounters are doing what you want. They now at Spirit Air, Allegiant Air, and Frontier, which are the three hard discounters or deep discounters that uh, you earn your savings because it's a different way of flying. With all of them, when you go to search, if any of the three serve the area you want to fly, they put up a calendar for you. And they show you the fare, each direction, day by day for a two-month period. Okay. So you can actually see, well, gosh, there's a $42 fare on uh, Wednesday two weeks from now. I like that. What's the return? And you see if they have a deal coming back as well. Right. There's no equivalent on the three full fare airlines, on American United and Delta the fares are, um, they're not into discounting at all, really, right now.
3: It looks like some seats must go unsold.
1: No, the, the um, load factors, the percent of seats filled is at all-time record highs. The airlines have become so sophisticated at figuring out what the last seat can sell for. And so they're flying flight after flight completely full or just about. And so the the desire to discount isn't there anymore because what American United and Delta did was they parked huge numbers of planes in the desert and said bye-bye to them and reduced the number of planes that they have in the air. And so they managed the supply so they could control what they could demand in fares from people who wanted to go. So it's creating basically a three-speed air travel market the three deep discounters I mentioned Allegiant Frontier and Spirit are offering one kind of product then the mid prices like Southwest Jet Blue Virgin America Alaska they're offering a different kind of product more a blend between those two extremes but if you're trying to get down to see your dad At the cheapest fare with the greatest flexibility of when you go and return, absolutely uh, Frontier, Allegiant, and Spirit are where you're going to want to get your deal.
0: First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks and automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations, so you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI.
1: It's my pleasure to have you with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. It annoys me so much when I travel. I stay in hotels uh, probably 80 nights a year, And so many places in the country now, the price is no longer the price with hotels. People shop around online. They find a place. They looks like a great deal. They book it. And then, oops, there's a resort fee or an amenities fee or a made-up fee for who knows what. And then what's funny is that the add-on fees don't necessarily cover things like parking at the property or internet or whatever the fee is just a made-up thing well it's worked really well for hotels because they understand consumer behavior and that people when they're shopping around they're looking for the lowest headline price they're not looking at the all-in price it's forced me to change how I shop for hotels that now I look at the all-in price before I go to buy because of a lawsuit, may have been more than one, but anyway, when you're looking at prices now, it has to show you what junk fees there will be. And even if it doesn't load it into the total price, it will say $28 resort fee applies per day or whatever it will say. But the, the disclosure will be there, and you've got to add that in. You've got to see, is the place really a deal or not? We go to Las Vegas every year to bring you what's going on at CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, and it's the most expensive week of the year for hotels in Las Vegas. And every year we deal with this where a hotel will show a price, But the price doesn't have that resort fee in. Then you add that in. And some nights of our stay earlier this year, the cost of the stay went up 60% once the junk fees were added in. So be aware of that and know that because it's worked so well for the hotels, the airlines are doing it more and more and more. They figure, hey, it works for them when people are price comparison shopping people don't look at the whole total maybe it'll work for us the airlines though are going to a more complicated system take JetBlue they just went to the highest check baggage fee in the country just about in the world and it's ironic because just I guess two years ago JetBlue the first check bag was free and now the first check bag I think is 30 I don't ever check a bag but it's, it's a lot of money to check that thing. And what JetBlue is doing is all tied up with the whole sell-up concept. So JetBlue will have a fare that you see when you're shopping around for fares, but everything with it's extra, like the big baggage charges. But then they have another fare that's just a little higher that – comes with a free check bag. And it's much cheaper to buy overall to buy that next fare up and get your free bag. But when you're shopping around and you're looking at prices, what you see is, oh, that low fare on JetBlue, which works great if you don't check a bag and you just do carry on. But follow with me for a second what's going on with Delta American and United and now Alaska coming in, with one of these junk fares, these basic economy things, where they can show up better in the airfare searches, but knowing that people overwhelmingly aren't going to buy that fare, and it's just a bait and switch. So, know that because of the internet and our ability to shop around and the whole comparison shopping thing that we now can do everybody's trying to manipulate us. And so it's up to you and me to know that. You know, you got burned once, shame on them. You got burned the second time, shame on you. Do the work where you look not just at that initial click, but what really is the total price. One annex I wanted to mention to you with American Airlines, with its basic economy fares different than Delta, United, and Alaska, Where with Delta United and Alaska, often you have just a little tick up in price to go from basic economy to regular economy. American, on the other hand, looks at basic economy, one of its strategies is specifically targeted at Spirit, Allegiant, and Frontier, and the basic economy that they sell in markets competitive with them may be half the cost or less what their regular economy is, and then... You got quite a choice to make. Christopher's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Christopher, you want to worship the sun, is that right? Yes, sir. And why is the sun so great? Other than it makes me in a much better mood,
4: because it gives us some solar power,
1: free power. Yeah, you right. know, um, I am—I'm the wrong person to ask about solar, because I love it.
4: Well, I've heard you talk about it so much. You're, you're making me start
1: to love it. So, do you have it, or are you thinking of getting it, or where where are you in your head on it?
4: Yes, sir. Um, I'm thinking about getting solar power, and I'm just wondering at what point it would make sense for me to do it. Uh, as far as you know, looking at how much I spend monthly on my electric bills, fairly low, anywhere from eighty to one twenty month is my typical electric bill and so just looking at whether it makes sense or not to pull the trigger and how long it would take me to you know recoup the money and stuff like that
1: you know if your average power bill let's just say is twelve hundred dollars a year it would take a long time for solar to pay off for you how many square feet's your home
4: it's around uh, 1,700
1: square feet. Okay, so that's kind of a typical size home. So you may be looking at somewhere around $10,000 to put in solar at your home. Have you gotten any price quotes? Is that about what you've heard?
4: Yeah, I, I just uh, recently got a quote, and uh, it was for $10,400, but that also included Increasing the uh, R value of my insulation in the attic. He talks about the radiant barrier, a solar attic fan, and a new, talks about putting in a new heat pump, water hybrid heat pump.
1: Okay. So that's a lot for 10 Now, you know, on the solar portion, you're eligible for a 30% tax credit.
4: Yes, sir. And he was saying if you did it all together, that everything could fall under that 30% tax credit.
1: So you'd end up you'd end up at a net of seventy two hundred dollars, let's say, for your net cost. Is that right? It was the ten four after the tax credit.
4: Uh, I believe the ten four was after.
1: Okay, ten thousand dollars. You know, it would it would take you a substantial number of years to make that back. Maybe more than would make sense from strictly dollars and cents.
4: Yes, sir.
1: Because what you're fighting against is you already have a very reasonable power bill. So as much as I love getting free power from the sun, you have to lay that money out up front, that ten grand up front. And I don't know that you're going to make it back in a reasonable number of years because your power bill is not going to go to zero. It's going to go much right. lower. But you might be talking about somewhere 12 to 15 years, to get payback, that's a long time.
4: Okay. What's your thoughts on the uh, hybrid heat pump water heater? Because it looks like, you know, just looking at that Energy Guide sticker on the side of mine, mine says it's around $541 annually, and then the one that they're they're selling is around $182 annually.
1: Yeah, and those stickers are generally uh, very accurate. So if you were to save $300-and-something and something dollars per year how much is that portion of the home improvement Uh, it
4: was 1500
1: so that would be that would make a lot of sense you want to look for a payback period on any energy related improvement you do of eight years or less okay so that would easily get done in less time than that and would make perfect sense to do now the one thing with the solar that is the unknown, and it depends on how people would value it. The time you'd go to sell your home, somebody very well might pay you more for your home because it has the solar on it, because they would then pay much lower power bills. But if you look at it strictly from the numbers you presented and the payback years it would take installing solar, I don't think you're there at your house because you have been so lucky with how low your power bills are i don't think you'd get the real payback from it michael's with us on the clark howard show hello michael hello clark pleasure so, to be on the show it's great to have you here i'm very interested in your question about dna testing
3: yes uh, my family we're wanting to do a christmas presents to our daughter and she would like to do a heritage profile. And one of the things is, is, you know, there are multiple ones out there, and I'm concerned about, you know, what are her risks as far as getting that information shared out into the world, and, uh, you know, what are the positives for that, and are there any products that you might be able to recommend?
1: Well, I have never heard about a risk of buying one of these services that you can buy on the Internet where you buy the kit, and that you take a, a swab, and then they're able to do the the DNA on you. As far as the, that information being used in a way to hurt you, that has never been on my radar. But you know the number one thing people want from these tests is the ancestry. Correct. They want to know background. You know, a lot of us have questions like, what, what are we all mixed with? I mean, I'm a, um, I am don't know if you know this old, old expression. I'm a Heinz 57 mutt. Correct. I have so many things that make me up. Who knows what all my parts are? So uh, you've got me intrigued because one of the services, Ancestry.com, has a DNA test that you can see directly if you go Ancestry.com slash DNA. Is this one you've looked at, by the way, is Ancestry?
3: Yes, we've looked at at that one, particularly for us. My my wife's side of the family, her grandmother came directly off the reservation. We have photographs of their family and all. And then on my side, we have Seminole, and so we wanted to, you know, try to see how much of that she carries.
1: Wow. So with these tests, I think you'll know what you're looking for, and you know they do a pretty deep dive. Now, they have the competitor that I think is older for this, which is 23andMe. They offer a health test, which is one that was very controversial. The government got in their business about it. That gives you a full genetic breakdown, and it gives you a fair amount of information about your health. That would set you back $200. Right. And I noticed
3: that some of them, they're doing... Uh, doing research like DNA markers for early risers and the implications of that and, you know, people who are, like, being up at night and those kind of things. And that's kind of what my concern is, you know, how they might use that information
1: that they have. And would it fall into the wrong hands at some point? Correct. You know, I I don't know. You know, if employers do this stuff, that freaks me out. Right. Because when any information, if you get your health coverage from an employer and they say, hey, we'd like you to have, go have this test, the employer has access to all that information. There's no protection for you as an employee. And so uh, agreeing to any of those testing programs the employers have comes with a level of risk. But if you use one of these commercial services, I guess you, it could fall into the wrong hands and cause you a problem. But I wouldn't worry a lot about that, Michael. I think that would be pretty far out there as a problem.
3: Okay, good. Because uh, we want to take advantage of the new stuff out there. I'm actually a laboratory director. And so clinical laboratory versus you know doing this piece of research. And so I just thought I'd run it by you to see if you had heard anything.
1: Well, I already bought a 23andMe. Okay. But I have no qualifications. I mean, here you have qualifications to bring to the table. I have right. no qualifications that help me choose between the two.
3: Right. Uh, I like the 23 and me because also you can do the health check as well.
1: Which is why that was especially interesting to me, but again, that's a lot more money. That's 200 versus 100. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me on clark.com. And then our producer, Joel, reads your question. And Joel, who do you have a question from? Clark, we got one from Matt. He says, this may sound stupid, but what are your thoughts of making a two-year-old an authorized user of credit on a credit card with me? I'm very fiscally responsible and I want to start building their credit history for a better financial future. Why did you wait so long? Two years old? You should have done this when they were two weeks old. No, there's no rush. And if you do want to make a child an authorized user on one of your cards to help them establish credit, the age most often recommended for people who who like this idea is age 16, although 15, 16, 17 right in there. And then you help somebody start to establish a credit identity. Uh, They will start to develop potentially a score based on having a track record with that card, even though they may not ever be in physical possession of the card. Many issuers will report them as an authorized user will report to the bureaus, helping them create that identity. But at two, I don't know there's an advantage. There may be a disadvantage because an identity thief, would have an even more juicy target of identity theft. All right. Speaking, since we're talking about kids right now, Sarah says, my son is going to be turning one next month. He already has plenty of toys, so I'd like to give him the gift of an investment. I was thinking that of one that he could have when he turns 18 or 21 would be a good idea. What type would be best? Wow. Uh, so opening an investment account would be great. Uh, I was talking earlier about my favorite children investment houses, you could go open a kid's account at Charles Schwab and pop a $100 into one of the Schwab funds. My favorite would be for a young child, the broad market ETF, exchange traded funds, kind of like a modern mutual fund. It costs no commissions to fund it. You can add to it as you wish. There's virtually zero fee charged to you, It's as, as close to zero as it could be, for having the account, and by age 18 would be potentially a significant amount of money if you keep adding to it through the years. Wow, oh, I love that question. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show.